Hello everybody and welcome to the Event Industry News Podcast. This podcast is kindly sponsored by N200 GES, our smart event solution partner. For more information on N200 and its smart event solutions, visit n200.com. So a very good afternoon, a good morning or a good evening wherever you're tuning in to today's podcast uh, from and to those people who have connected to the live stream of the podcast via eventindustrynews.com. Tonight's live stream allows you to interact in real time with our guests, giving you the power to put questions directly to them. And don't forget to tweet us as well at Event News Blog. You can also stay up to date with all of the latest content from eventindustrynews.com by downloading the new Event Industry News app available for all the major mobile devices. So on tonight's episode, we're going to be looking at what Brexit means potentially for UK music festivals. Um, some of you may have tuned into our podcast special that we did last week as a reaction to the general election and inevitably that led on to, to discussions about Brexit as well because it's all very much interconnected at the moment. I'm delighted to say that joining the podcast for the first time we welcome David Jinks. David is the Head of Consumer Research at Parcel Hero. Parcel Hero is a, a price comparison site that essentially acts as an online broker of logistics and uh, delivery services. David, a very good evening to you and thank you for joining us. And to you, pleasure. So as I said, we've, we've looked at Brexit several times on the podcast in, in recent months and last week we had a, um, a discussion uh, following on from the general election. So today, uh, Tuesday the 20th of, of June, for anybody who's listening back uh, to the podcast uh, via iTunes or, or on eventagesnews.com after this live stream has gone out, um, when we look at the UK music festival industry and put it into context of Brexit, let's first of all look at where the industry is at the moment, what is its current state and where do we stand with things? What's your particular involvement in that industry? Well, our particular involvement is um, because we're, we're, we're a logistics and delivery company, we will do things like small things like delivering flyers into in, into um, particular festivals and that kind of thing. But also work, we work with other companies that um, deal with um, shipping in you know, the much larger stuff, sound equipment, amps, the big, um, the big um, screens, that kind of thing. So we work quite closely with all of those. And in addition, some of the staff here are uh, in bands, aspiring bands, if you like. Mm -hmm. So we've all got a bit of a, a vested interest in the whole, um, in the whole sort of a music scene, and then wanting it to succeed in Brexit, but being slightly alarmed by it. So that's where that's that's why we're involved. That's why we've done that report. Um, and what's the current state of the um, UK festival industry? Well, superficially, it, it, it looks all right. There are about a thousand festivals a year in the UK. They're not all music festivals. They might be book festivals, things like that. But they add up to a 2.3 billion pound industry, which is, sounds pretty healthy. And 14 million of us plan to attend a festival of some kind this summer. That might not just be um, music festivals again, it might be book festivals or that kind of thing. But top festival prices are now about £200 a ticket for some of the top music festivals. So it looks like it's quite a big industry and quite a healthy industry. But in fact, a lot of festival finances are actually balanced on, an, on a bit of a knife edge because Blastonbury, say the big daddy of all music festivals, has got a £37 million turnover, which sounds great. But um, in the last year we got um, figures for, it made profits of just £86,000, less than 50p a ticket. 
it's got some arcane accounting procedures and it gives some to the charity as well but even so that's not a massive return and other festivals are even more finely balanced really um there's a particularly the soggy summer of 2012 57 music festivals were cancelled so it's um it's a it's a delicately balanced industry at the moment it's it's always been very very delicately balanced i, I mean that, that that's I think that's something that um, is maybe not obvious to everybody, but certainly people within the industry know just how difficult it is to turn a profit at music festivals if you want to do them well and if you want the quality of infrastructure that, that you talked about, things like the, the, the quality sound, the quality lighting, the screens now that go hand in hand with, with putting on large music festivals. But as you rightly point out, a festival doesn't just have to be a music festival. Arts festivals, food festivals, oh, yeah. Yeah. book festivals, they all require a certain level of infrastructure no doubt stuff moving from A to B in order to, to facilitate them I suppose what what I'd like to ask first of all is when it comes to brexit do EU festival goers really make much of a difference to UK festival finances surely most of the audiences that are traveling to UK festivals are going to be coming from the UK anyway and thus brexit won't really have a major impact on us well, at the answer, that's quite surprising. About 767,000 um, European Union music tourists came to the UK in 2015. They spent £38 million on tickets and an average of £1,000 they spent. And overall, music tourism is absolutely huge. Um, if you take the, West, the visitors to the West End shows and to clubs and things like that all together, that's a spending of 3.1 billion to the UK economy. It's, it's absolutely huge. And there's been a 39% increase in overseas tourists att attending UK music events. So it's absolutely massive. Um, and there is, you know, it's, it's really could be that that amount of, um, of, of people represents the difference between success or failure for some for some um, big music events. It, it could be that much on an iPad. But surely, if, if, we're, if we're to believe some elements of the media and politicians you know everybody's got a different argument on this but if you're to believe some people they're going to say that the pound will drop in value so actually we're going to see it we could potentially see an increase in eu visitors into the music festival scene if it becomes cheaper for them to do so so surely the bigger question will be uk festival goers going over to continental um music festivals surely that's potentially the bigger question mark Yes, but in actual fact, when, when you look at it, I see that, yes, superficially right now, the pound is low, and that means that it's great, it's really cheap for, for EU festival goers to come over here, listen to their favourite bands, but um, that's a sort of, that's a product right now, we're in a sort of a phony war period, if you like, um, that won't necessarily be the case, that it's just so, e it won't be so easy to get over here post a hard Brexit, and also, say if they're like following their favourite bands from, from their country and like following them over here to the UK, mm. well, I mean, there's a lot of, um, we'll, we'll go into it in a bit later on, but there's a lot of extra costs that will be involved in touring the UK from the EU. Um, significant sums to do with buying carnets to, to import all your sound and lighting equipment and things like that. There's going to be some significant costs which will reduce the number of EU bands visiting, which in turn will mean that the, the, you know, that the people who follow those bands won't be visiting either. Why would they need to bring their own stuff in? Because in the UK we've got a fabulous um, 
portfolio of event suppliers, sound lights, screens, anything you want. We often lead the way in, in delivering that level of, of uh, infrastructure. So why, why would they need to bring significant amounts in? If it's going to cost them money, why not just source it from a UK supplier when you come here? A lot of bands do like to take their own kit, their own, you know, particularly if they've got their own lighting setups, their own, their own screen things and things like that. A lot of bands are just, you know, feel happier doing that. And indeed, it's already can be a problem. For instance, um, there was um, a, a case not too long ago where Oasis went to, to play in Norway. Now, Norway is in Europe, sure, but it's not in the EU. So what they weren't anticipating was that some of their, all their, some of their kit, particularly the big screens, got stuck at customs because they didn't have all the required paperwork. Um, and, and they actually, the event for the Norway part of their tour didn't go ahead and they had to cancel it because so much of their kit was stuck. So it is the case already that, that you know, a lot of bands are moving their own bit of equipment around and about. But if you do hit problems at EU customs, it's already a problem for those ones that are outside the EU. Well, whilst I agree with you that that's that's an issue when you go into Norway, um, as has been pointed out in previous editions of the podcast, you need you need to go through. But that particular example is surely um, mismanagement on the band's part and the management of the actual touring process, as opposed to it being a major negative of of the visa requirements and the check-in requirements at customs. Yes, well, there's other things as well. Let's say at the moment, um, one of the problems is um, is the bands that the the, the revenue um, is falling off from like physical music sales, you know, CDs sales and things like that have got you know just gone off a cliff basically, and so they're looking for other ways to raise money. And one of the traditional mm. ways to raise money was um, through selling merchandise, but that will be hit significantly because there'll be tariffs on things which. You know, we don't pay tariffs between the EU and the UK at the moment because we're all one big happy family. But if, let's say, they're selling T-shirts for their band, there'll be a 12% um, tariff on T-shirts costing between the EU and the UK, plus 20% VAT that you'll pay, you know, at customs as well. So there'll be some n nasty charges for some of those things which bands kind of rely on at the moment in order to, um, you know, in order to make money to pay for their own visits. How do we know that there's going to be 12%? Because all we hear every day at the moment in the media is nego the, the negotiations themselves only took place yesterday and they've made quite clear already the EU that trade negotiations will be on the back burner for quite some time. So who, who's actually giving out these facts and figures in terms of 12% tax on things like merchandise? Okay, that's, um, that's what you would call... Uh, a hard Brexit scenario. There are soft Brexits in which we don't exit. We don't exit the customs union or the single market at all. Um, right. In which case, we wouldn't be paying any of those kind of duties or, or, or taxes. It would all be great. But on the other hand, the government might find that difficult to swallow because they probably have to accept freedom of movement and immigration to, to quite a considerable degree, the degree which is maybe not what they originally went into Brexit for. But that mm. is possible and that's on the cards. Soft Brexit is, is, is more likely after the general election than it was before. But there are other people in the government and there are other reasons for wanting a, a harder Brexit, where we can, you know, which is what they initially said they wanted to do, whereby we, we, we leave the single union and the customs union. And in which case, if you applied, say, World Trade Organization rules, that's what I was quoting just there, where when you reach the EU borders from outside the EU, there's a 12% tariff on T-shirts, say, um, as just one typical example of merchandise. Um, so that would be the kind of thing that would be imposed. 
given a hard Brexit. Now, just playing devil's advocate for, for a moment, um, surely that's all that happens anyway when touring bands from the USA come over. There are major, major recording artists from the USA who come over and tour Europe regularly, who seem to manage, who seem to turn a profit on their tours. Um, they have to go through all of this when they bring their equipment in and their touring production in from the USA. So if they can manage it, surely there must be processes in place and tour managers who are very used to, to dealing with this situation anyway. Well, that's the case. If you're Adele, it's, it's nothing to go to America, say. But British bands going to America at the moment, it costs them an arm and a leg. And in fact, that's what a lot of... So say that you know the money that they get for performances, some of that money that the you know that is accrued for you know performing right stuff actually goes mm -hmm. towards smaller bands to pay for their costs to get to America because it costs a fortune. And indeed, we saw some quite alarming events happen um, South by Southwest um, um, this year, where seven bands got as far as getting into the U.S. and getting to customs in the U.S. and then getting sent home without playing a note. And, and, and uh, there's a band called Soviet Soviet Italian band. And they were locked up in jail for the night, and then sent home without without playing a single note. And that's because the, the you know the U.S. officials thought they were trying to get out of the fact that they were being paid. In fact, they weren't going to be paid, but they, they were suspicious of it, so they got sent back. So it's very difficult, in fact, very expensive for smaller bands. Mm -hmm. You know, let's so, so say a band where your bass player is also your manager and your, and, your, and, your, and your, you know and your tour group guy. So it's very much more expensive, and very difficult to get to the U.S. from that you know for them. And the same would apply to the US, to the EU, going into the EU post a tough Brexit. That were those kind of costs would, would start up there. So, so uh, as you point out, you know, when, when you are the Rolling Stones, for example, who have a, a dedicated cash flow to cover the cost of, of carnets and, and custom bonds for their touring operation um, that usually, I think, runs in the region of about $3 million that they have keeping floating around. As you point out, when you're at the smaller end of the touring scale, five of you in a Mercedes van plowing up the roads of Europe, things are going to become a little bit different. So from a, a practical sense, um, uh, what does a hard Brexit mean in terms of, of, of physical cash? Have we looked at the figures and, and has anybody looked at the yeah. figures of what it costs yeah. at the moment to move stuff yeah. from, let's say they want to go and play at a festival in Italy, what, what would the cost comparison be now compared to a hard Brexit scenario in three years' time? Yeah. Well, at the moment, there's no charge for them to ship over their all their equipment, um, so that you know their lighting, their guitars, the things that they need. There's no charge at all for doing that. But they would need to get a carne to do that um, after a, a tough Brexit, and that would cost. Most small bands think that that's going to cost them about one to two thousand pounds, because what they have to do is they have, there's a small initial fee. But then you have to cover at least 40% of the overall cost of the items being shipped over. In a way, a carne is like a passport for your kit, passport for your equipment. And that's what it is. But you've got to cover at least 40% of your, your cost. One to two thousand pounds. Well, that's more than, say, some of those guys here wanting to be a spot in our little bands you know, can actually afford to do to, um, to go to Europe. So it's going to mean that UK bands are going to have trouble going to the EU and same way similar sized bands you know, in the EU are going to have the same amount of costs and trouble coming over here. 
Now, again, I, I'm, I'm purely playing devil's advocate on this, but these these smaller bands and the ones that we we think maybe hit harder in the, in the touring industry, um, if they are just touring in a van with essentially their own backline equipment, so drums, some guitar amps, a bass amp, you know, some keyboards, some that stuff that could be rented in the company that they are visiting. So quite yeah. simply, they, they, they take half the amount of equipment. They take some guitars, they take some, some pedal boards, and you know, they just rent the big stuff when they get there and save them the cost. Is that, is that something that you foresee could, could start happening? Yeah, sure. Sure, that, that is something that we, we could start happening, but they'll face some other problems as well. Let's say they're lucky enough to actually be being paid for the gig. Then um, you get into a whole new um, area of, of issues post uh, post the Brexit because there are, you know because they won't be EU citizens, so there'll be problems with taxation on the, on the payments. There'll be problems with visas and things like that. So if they're lucky enough to get paid, they're going to face some problems for for that kind of thing. And also, if they're not lucky enough to get paid, well, they've got to show they've got to be able to prove to suspicious customs people that they haven't got paid for that. So there's it's just the, the increased bureaucracy really. But yeah, I mean, certainly hiring some of the kit themselves wouldn't do them any harm. Um, as a as a company that uh, that looks at, at you know the cost of moving things from A to B, you'll surely be uh, familiar, I'm guessing, with with fuel costs and, mm. and related road costs. Um, a lot of Europe has toll roads and things like that, and and uh, fuel costs will inevitably fluctuate with differentiations in in currencies. Um, have you looked at? at, at that particular impact in terms of the actual practical costs of putting fuel in and the taxes and the tolls that are applicable on travelling on some of the roads and how they could change? Yeah, I don't think that Brexit per se would make that much difference to that kind of thing. Once you're over there, you've still got to pay the tolls over there. You've still got to pay the you know the fuel at whatever you know price and duty it is that you're paying over there. So I don't think that's going to have too much of an impact on them. You know, that I don't think we can't blame Brexit on, on everything, and I don't think that those kind of charges are going to go up too much for them. Um, so you know, so, so touch with there's some aspects of, of touring that that Brexit won't touch. Some of the um, some of the major festival brands now have um, twin festivals yeah. or several events that fall under the same branding and the same banner um, that will that will essentially pop up in different parts of Europe. Um, how how do we see those? Even though those scenarios, are, I guess, have parallels with the big artists that we were talking about in terms of they have a, a slightly better cost base and a capital base to start with but do we see them being impacted at all as events if they are twinned with an event that's in the UK? Yeah, it's not just big events that are twinned, um, a lot of smaller events are also um, twinned and indeed it saves them money to, 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 to team up because they might share back office functions, they might share sort of marketing approaches, that kind of thing, even ticketing deals all of that kind of thing it, it is really going to be you know certainly thrown up in the air by by brexit because um there are you know there, there will be sort of differences in terms of you know taxes on payments in terms of all that kind of thing so yeah i'm afraid it is going to have a, a big impact on those kind of shared things which is a shame because that's partly the what the whole of the sort of you know, music festival industry it is good at and is sort of you know really expanding into so it's a shame but yeah it's definitely going to hit that kind of thing and also software the UK is a real leader in software development and that I'm sure that's the UK software is being used on festival software throughout the EU and the, and the rest of the world well there could be new charges on, on software and, and all sorts of services come 
come a tough Brexit. And just looking at a flip side to all of this, and and going back back a little bit to what I said earlier that um, it could become cheaper for. EU citizens to actually visit UK festivals, which could have a positive financial impact on UK festivals. The, the, the upshot of that as well is that if it's more expensive for Brits to go abroad full stop, festival or otherwise, it means that they're perhaps looking for holiday options in the UK, a bit like the whole staycation approach that we had in sort of 2008, 2009, 2010 after in the thick of the recession. Um, so is there a likelihood or is, this, is there a possibility, I should say, that in the scenario of a hard Brexit, UK festivals actually boom a bit because there are more <laughs> UK residents going to them. And by booming, they actually offer more opportunities for UK smaller bands to tour around UK festivals, thus negating the issue of having to go to Europe full stop. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, I betrayed the hard Brexit as the four horsemen of the apocalypse sort of riding in with fire and brimstone, but it might not necessarily be the case. Yeah, there will certainly be the case that it will be cheaper for, the, for, for, for people to come over here and that we'll be getting more people probably um, doing um, staycations. And also there's another plus point as well, and that is that the, the music industry per se is a bit of a sort of a, a disparate sort of um, a set of people and it's, you know, some, some kind of, you know, some part of the industry goes one way, some part goes the other. But you've seen gradually with the, with the threat of Brexit, first of all, and then post the Brexit vote, um, you know, sort of the general sort of coming together of artists, management, um, and, and the sort of overall bodies to actually sort of get together to sort of form a bit of a, a bit of a cohesive um, response. Uh, and that and that's a, that's a great thing. There's a, there's a good report by UK Music that just came out recently, sort of looking at this whole issue. So hmm. yeah, there are some plus points. It's it's not totally totally um bad news even even a hard brexit you know could still encourage um say tours to places where people haven't necessarily been touring before um and you know so th there could be some plus points but on the whole on the whole it, it's it, it's not great news um i'm going to throw a scenario at you um now and it and it's it's referencing something that used to happen in yesteryear and i'm i'm, I'm you know a relatively keen music fan, particularly of, of a lot of older music. And if you look at the major American labels back in the in the 50s and the 60s, um, whether that be Stax Records or Motown or any of those, they would do package tours. And the same thing happened in the 60s in England with the people like Decca Records and, you know, you'd have the Beatles and Jerry and the Pacemakers, etc., etc. They'd all be on these package tours where they would basically all bundle onto a coach together and every night you'd have six or seven or eight bands playing on stage and then they'd go off somewhere else. And that was done to promote their singles but also because it kept the costs down massively. Going back to the scenario of the smaller bands looking to tour Europe and the costs going yeah. up, is there a scenario where actually it could be financially beneficial for them to go in one vehicle with one set of equipment and look to actually partner up with other artists and bands and make it a group effort that collectively helps to reduce some of the costs of going cross-border? Yeah. Um there might be, again, as you say, for some of the smaller bands. I mean, I can't say the Gallagher's teaming up in buses with, with people, but um, I, I think that that could be the case. Let's say where people have maybe got a, you know, it's a small group, but maybe they've got a recording contract, which is, you know, is a great part of the battle. And indeed, in those cases, obviously, a recording label will look after 
your merchandise and things like that. So they're taking some of the pressure off them anyway, like that. But yeah, that would be that would be great, wouldn't it? I mean, I think we'd all like to see some kind of events like that going on. And indeed, that kind of pulls into recently music sort of um, the use and support of say what, what we had in Manchester recently with with all sorts of artists pull, pulling together um, for, for for that big event. There is a sort of brotherhood of, of musicians when. When, when when things need to get get done like that, and I can see smaller groups actually banding together and going on the road a bit like that. That that sounds fun, but I really don't see it with with with, with bigger groups at all. I can't see that happening. But maybe when they when they're small and, and setting out. Have you um, been able to have much conversation thus far with um, other companies who work within the, the the industry, with with artists, with production companies, with tour managers, anybody associated with this? And if and if so, what's the feeling that you're getting from them? Is there, is everybody sharing a similar viewpoint at the moment, or is it very very uh, congested in terms of the differences of opinion? Well, I think it partly depends on the size of the. Um... Um, at the size of the, the, the group, or, or the, you know, or the, you know, the stature of the artists that we're talking to, we, we've talked to um, um, uh, quite a few people um, down in, in Brighton re recently at the, uh, at the, big, the big festival in Brighton, where which is mainly for um, newcomers to the industry, and mm. they were quite, you know, uniformly quite concerned about what the potential of the, the people coming in for, over from the EU were quite concerned indeed about the impact of Brexit. And indeed, the people, the the UK artists, you know, hoping to go over, you know, to the EU, were also quite pessimistic. Yeah. So, so that side of the music industry, it is quite pessimistic. But I mean, you'll have seen um, UK Music did a, a, issued a report um, recently, which is, you know, which has got some good things to say about where where the industry is going. Um, you know, even even with the, with the threat that it faces. So, you know, it, it's not uniform you know, doom and gloom. No, but it's um, but it's certainly a sort of wary waiting. I'm, I'm going to go back um, briefly, uh, and uh, and from a figures point of view, you mentioned that Glastonbury, despite a, 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 you know millions and millions of pound yeah. budget that that comes in because of the ticket sales, makes actually what is relatively tiny profit margin. Yeah. If we if we park that to one side for a second, and we look at the major major players in the promotions industry, so the major promoters of events, not just in the UK, but brands who are, are global promoters of live music. As companies with shareholders and boards, executive boards to answer to, they're not going to want to see profits go down and they're not going to want to see suddenly the market drying up. Do you envisage that they could actually tap into some of what they must be making quite considerably profit-wise at the moment, in a way to stimulate the market? So actually, you know, willing to accept smaller profit margins in order to maintain artists out there on the road by way of making sure that their brands are kept in in front of people. I don't know. It's a it's a tough you know it's a tough industry at the moment altogether, isn't it? I mean. Margins for the big, for even you know, in the even the biggest promoters and the, and the biggest labels are really um, sort of more, more you know considerably lower than they were. So you know, it, it's you know, it's a tighter industry altogether. But on the other hand, yeah, I mean, they will have to have uh, a plan B if, if there is a tough Brexit, um, mm -hmm. whereby they will sort of need to look at ways of encouraging and supporting young artists more than maybe they do currently. I think that that would be quite 
good to, if they did have a war chest put aside for that kind of um, for that kind of event. At the moment, I've not sort of heard of too much of that, but certainly, you know, they're going to hopefully have the foresight to be able to nurture t um, new new talent, um, even in the face of um, you know, cuts through Brexit. Um, and hopefully that could be the case, yeah. We have at the moment this common travel area between Ireland and the United Kingdom, which no. was um, uh, uh, been in operation since the 1920s, if my information is, is correct. Um, is there a scenario, do you think there's a likelihood or a possibility that we could do a similar deal that would allow um, a bit more... Uh, flexibility in terms of the movement of people and equipment um, cross-border um, and then there's a follow-on to that I'll, I'll let you answer that first of all whether or not you think this, this sort of idea of common travel in the way that we have between the UK and Ireland could work oh that's I mean that's a, a multi-million uh, do dollar or at least a euro question isn't it um, I it's, it's for you know it's not really for, for me to comment on that I, it's one of the issues that will be top of um, the negotiation thing for, for, for the politicians. I mm. don't know how they're going to resolve that one. It really will depend. They won't need to worry about it if there's if we were to remain in the single market and the you know, customs union, they probably won't need to worry about it. It will probably be able to try, you know, be pretty smooth as it is now. If there is a tough Brexit, if we actually maybe fall off the end of the whole negotiations and haven't come up to it with anything at all, then yeah, we could well see uh, you know we could well see barriers going up again between um, between Northern Ireland and Ireland, which would be a shame. But I would imagine everyone in many industries, not just the music industry, but many many industries, will be working hard to to, to try and make sure that that doesn't happen. But theoretically, it's certainly possible. Let's um, let's let's go back a, a, again a couple of steps and and, and clarify something that um, was raised on a previous issue of the podcast and we we've spoken about some of the possible negative scenarios where bands pay high fees equipment has, has got to be checked you know there's this this passport on equipment moving from one place to another however am i right in saying that if a band moves out of the uk what well, this is post brexit so post brexit a band gets on a ferry at dover and arrives at calais and all their equipment has to be checked and carnets and so on and so forth. Once they're in the EU zone, they're not going to have to go through that process. If they then cross into Spain and then Portugal and then back to France and then into Germany and then down into Italy, they're not going to have to go through this process at every border, are they? No, no, absolutely not. You, you're quite right. Because once they're in the, the inside the European Union, it's still one big happy family, except for us. So that will continue um, as is. So their carnet will last them a year, and they will be able to travel anywhere within the EU um, without having to go through all the, the paperwork. And it's just the getting into the EU, wherever they go to France or wherever the first port of call is, that's where the hold-ups, that's where the payments are going to be. Once they've got clear from that, yeah, they're, they're, you know, they're, they they will experience things pretty much like they are already. So, so given that that's the case, and given that some people may have, have maybe misinterpreted or misunderstood that, oh crikey, really every every border we go past, we're going to have to get stopped and empty the van out and all the rest of it. Is it actually a bit of a mountain out of a molehill, or, or from a financial point of view, is there a really major financial hit that's going to be have to be you know shouldered? Well, we think there is a major financial hit. We think. Um, um, if you take the, the, the businesses coming over from the EU, 
We think that's £767 million that they spend at UK music festivals, which is, when we've seen how slim the profit margins are on those, that is a considerable amount. It is a mountain out of a molehill. We think it's, you know, it is quite a threat. But, yeah, I, I agree completely that, you know, things are much rosier once they're over in the, in the EU, once they've got through all the hurdles, then they can do a big European tour without extra hurdles. That's fine. But it's just getting there in the first place, or European, uh, well, EU citizens coming over to England to for festivals or to play. Uh, another major um, point to consider and that we should bear in mind, I think, is is the is the impact that British tourism has within continental Europe. And without being too stereotypical about things, you take Spain, for example. And the major holiday destinations on the coast, the coastal resorts of, of southern Spain and, and, and the various costas, if suddenly it was to be made really difficult and, and lots of hurdles for people to jump through in order to go on holiday there, and that tourism was to dry up even by 20%, it would have massive impacts mm. on, on, the, on the, the income of those particular countries. Spain relies massively on British tourism to fund jobs, to fund companies to fund businesses because of the sheer volume of cash that we pump into it so surely the EU are going to soften their approach a little bit during negotiations to borders because in the back of their minds they're going to be having countries saying we cannot afford to not have their tourism yeah, you're quite right and it, it extends beyond music tourism um, I mean let's say you know the, the percentage of German cars we buy I think we're the, we're the biggest market for them so I mean it's it's a huge uh, deal all around and one that the EU uh, presumably everyone's presumably at this early stage posturing and, and setting out the toughest positions they can but hopefully there will be a more realistic position adopted by everyone as, as time goes on and then there are many vested reasons why the uh, EU wouldn't want to have too tough uh, a Brexit and why in the end everyone wants some kind of cooperation. I'm hoping, I have my fingers crossed when I say that, if not we are looking at the, the, the tough Brexit situation, but if not then this could all be you know, smoothed out quite considerably and we're hopefully we won't be looking at this, at this tough Brexit scenario that I've been painting here. But at the moment, you know, there's everything still to play for. Um, how much of your business as a, as a, as a broker and a, a, as an online price comparison of, of logistics and, and getting things from A to B and beyond, how much of your business is actually conducted in and around the live events industry and how much is conducted servicing other industries and are they all impacted equally? Um, as I said, we work sort of with another, with another company that is the one that sort of specialises in the bigger music industry stuff and all the sort of moving and shipments of that kind of stuff. So they're the, they're, they're, they've got the main bulk of it. We also, with parcel, we're in the Parcel Hero brand, we're the people that deliver sort of the smaller stuff, really. So we're delivering flyers, leaflets, um, bits of stuff that people have forgotten, that kind of thing we're going into. And that's quite a busy part of our market, but it's not at all a major part of the market. But the companies that we work with um, have got them, you know, quite a, it's quite a lion's share for some of them. And so, yeah, so that's why we're sort of particularly interested in that. And, and just as a, a, to get your opinion, really, um, reports, uh, widely reported yesterday that uh, the UK has agreed to negotiate the divorce settlement, if you will, the financial side of the, the separation, 
before they sit down to negotiate trade. So we could potentially be slapped with a bill to get out of the EU before we actually know what we're going to be able to do trade-wise. Is that a mistake that they've caved in in some respects or have they got to do it really to be seen to get in the ball rolling on this? I don't think we're in the world's strongest negotiating position, are we really? So I think that really, you know, we probably, you know, we probably sort of had to swallow that. It's just to be hoped that when it comes to the actual sort of nitty gritty of getting down to um, trade agreements, that you know, we 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 look that we are in a slightly stronger position, really, in terms of the fact that they need us as well as we need them. So hopefully, you know, that we have got a stronger position there. But um, but yeah, I think we just had to swallow that one, really. I think I think we could all see that coming. Um, I'd be curious to know, and I suppose this is a point where I'll start putting a bit of a shout out. Um, David works specifically in logistics and uh, and A to B and actually sourcing that um, that 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 logistical operational side of things. Um, I'd be curious to hear, and and event industry news as a whole would be curious to hear what people who working in the live events industry and the live music and the touring industries make of this at the moment and any any differing opinions to David because I'm sure David you'd be the first to agree that everybody will have a slightly different opinion on this and maybe a wildly different opinion on it and uh, we'd love to hear from them. Um, have you considered any any solutions of your own? I mean some of the insights that you've given us as to what could happen you know I, I think have certainly painted a potential picture but have you explored maybe what what your solution would be if you if you had an ideal solution to all of this no i think that really what we're what we're hoping for is that the voices for a softer brexit are the, are the ones that eventually prevail i think that um that's more likely after the election and um, we, we just um, um, um it's going to need the agreement of Parliament, whatever the deal is that they come up with at the end. So I think after the election, the sort of it looks like it's a Parliament that's more in favour of sort of a softer Brexit per se. So hopefully we won't be faced with the really tough scenario of no agreement, which you know they're saying no agreement is, is better than a bad agreement. I think that's you know from our point of view as a as a company that ships things over to the EU and back again, and that's what we, you know that's what we do as a main part of our business. We don't necessarily agree with that, although we can see why people vote in Brexit, of course, and all that kind of thing. But I think that we would very much hope that a, that a softer Brexit is what we eventually get. One one final thing before we do do wrap up, and, I, and again, just looking for a bit of clarity on things. If you source the logistics to to move somebody's equipment from point A to point B, and in doing so, between those two points, have to cross an EU border, um, who has to foot the initial cost of crossing that border. So if the artist and, and the management are not actually physically in the vehicle, if it's literally just a delivery company moving that equipment for them, who, does somebody actually have to physically cough up some cash at the border? Who covers that initial cost and how is it recovered? And will your prices have to reflect the cost of doing that and covering those costs potentially? Yeah, good question. Um, basically, if you've got um, goods that you're shipped with, you know, that haven't uh, haven't got anyone in attendance with them, then it is the receiver, whoever the designated receiver is, who would pay the duties and tariffs and taxes on those goods. You can pay in advance. So if you were going to ship something from the UK to the EU and there's and the, you know and there are customs seizures in, in place, you could pay for an extra fee 
up front to cover all those yourself. Because some, some um, you know, say a lot of companies do like to do that because then it cuts out the uncertainty for their buyers who don't like, you know, to do all that kind of thing. And they'd rather pay up front. So, so a lot of companies do that. But on the whole, it's the receiver that pays the tariffs, the duties, all that kind of thing. So, yeah, so, that, that, so it's the receiver, basically. But would your, your customers' costs go up to the tune of, the, of these tariff costs? Would it, would, is it inevitable that everybody's costs would have to go up to, to, to essentially foot some of this bill? Yeah, certainly, because um, the, uh, the carrier companies themselves are likely to present, to, to, to introduce a, a customs clearance charge. It's what they do in places like Switzerland, which is an extra £15, and that's just to cover the cost for them, because they don't hate getting delayed at customs borders, and they know it's going to cost more for them, and they, they know it's going to be delays and extra paperwork. So they build in an extra £15 on whatever the shipment is as well. So you've got that problem, and then you've got, you know, someone's got to pay for the extra duties and for the and for the, all the problems around VAT, because VAT is possibly, if it's a really tough Brexit, VAT will be payable on the goods actually at customs before they're cleared. So there's all sorts of issues like around that. So yeah, I mean, if Brexit, if there's a tough Brexit, I'm afraid everyone pays. My, you know, we pay as Parcel Hero. Our customers will pay. Musicians will pay. I'm afraid everyone's going to be paying a bit more. And and indeed, you know, people who are buying UK products in the EU will pay as well because they're the people actually picking up the um, duties and taxes. We've been talking today about Brexit and the potential impact that it could have on both the UK music festival industry but um, I suppose uh, more expansively on, on the, the possibilities of UK bands and artists touring within EU areas post-Brexit and the impact that that could have. And our guest today um, has been David Jinks. David is the Head of Consumer Research at Parcel Hero. Um, Parcel Hero is a price comparison online broker of logistics. Um, some great insight into that particular world of operations and some thoughts on what could happen in various different scenarios. David, um, our thanks for joining the podcast this afternoon. Really enjoyed it, really enjoyed it. I hope you will invite me again sometime. Absolutely, love to get you back on. And uh, this subject is inevitably going to roll and roll. And as I mentioned a few minutes ago on the podcast, if anybody listening in has a completely wildly different opinion to David's or anything related to what they think Brexit could impact on in terms of the UK music industry, in terms of the UK live events industry, we'd love to hear from you. There is an awful lot of speculation in the media about it in general. But I think we've only just scratched the surface of what could happen and how it could affect our own live events industry. And we'd love to get your opinions on it. Um, the Event Industry News podcast is kindly sponsored by N200 GES. Uh, N200 is our smart event solution partner. For more information on N200 and its smart event solutions, please visit n200.com. And don't forget to stay up to date with all the latest content from Event Industry News by downloading the new Event Industry News app available on all the major mobile devices. And uh, as I said, uh, this has been a, a live stream of the podcast that's gone out on Tuesday, the 20th of June. But if you're listening back to this via iTunes or uh, watching it via eventindustrynews.com, you can regularly tune into live streams of the podcast on a Tuesday evening and submit your questions via the live stream window or indeed via Twitter using at eventnewsblog. But our thanks once again to David Jinks from Parcel Hero for joining us. David, a very good evening to you. And you. 
And uh, we'll sign off on today's episode. This has been the Event Industry News Podcast. My name is James Dixon, and uh, we'll see you very soon. Thanks a lot. Bye-bye. Thank you.